And what I want to do in, in continuation is I want to celebrate the mothers again today. And, and go, yeah, amen. Praise the Lord for mothers. And you know, we don't have, um, we don't have much, uh, pictures or things to do with my mama. Uh, my mom is weird. My mom's name is Thomasine. And so when she married my dad, Frank, it just matched her name, Thomasina Thomaselli, right? It just, it was just God ordained that. But my mom wasn't always a believer in Jesus. In fact, my dad led her to the Lord uh, before they even started dating and through the process of a broken relationship, having two young children, uh, and my father had two older children, uh, God in their single life brought them together and restored their relationship. And if you know me before I became a believer in Jesus, if you knew me growing up, I'm a mama's boy, like for real. Like even when I was in college, my mom would come to my house, my apartment, and she would wash clothes for me, dry clothes for me. Me. Like I was mama's pride and joy, but you know the story. Mama went home to be with the Lord 12 years ago, and just recently, a few months ago, we got something that is very endearment to my heart. My auntie, who uh, who moved back to Oahu, that's where my family is from. She gave me my mom's first ever Bible. And so uh, this week as I was preparing for Mother's Day, I was like, what is something tangible I could share with my ohana about my relationship with my mother? And so th- you see this big, uh, oh yeah, you see this big thumper right here, right? This is an original 1611 King James Version Bible. Um, not from 1611, just, you know, and all that. But it's beaten up. It's been really used. But my, this was my mother's first ever Bible given to her by my dad when she became a believer in Jesus. And one thing I know about my mother, she was not perfect. I mean, this Hawaiian was not. I mean, we would worship Sunday morning. But if you got bad on her that's, if you got her on her bad side, she don't care how Christian she is or how Christian you, she gonna tell you off, right? She was just, she wasn't always godly, right? <laughs> Let's just say that, alright? I know some of you are too godly to even understand that, right? But that's the reality. But as I was looking through the scripture, the Lord brought me to a specific passage, and it's not on the screen. But uh, if you got your Bibles, would you just uh, turn it to Proverbs 31? Now, you may know this proverb because it talks about what it means to be a godly woman. But I want you to see, it's not on the screen, it should be in your Bible. 31, I'm reading out of the KJV, all right? I don't read out of this version much, but hey, it's powerful. And I want you to look at your Bible because I want to read it in a cultural tense. Uh, I don't want to just read it like the way it's written in a Elizabethan tone. I want to read it in a pigeon tone. I want to read it to the way my mama would read it to you. All right. And so you got this beautiful text of Solomon being shared manao by his mother, Bethsheba. And we see a beautiful relationship between Solomon and his mother. In fact, how many of you don't go by your first name? How many of you in your house, you go by your Hawaiian name or your middle name, right? Exactly. Amen. I'm the same way. You would see Ulu call me Kapua. That is my part of my middle name. That's my family name. Only my family who get my Coco call me Kapua. All right. And so you see a name that Bathsheba uses for Solomon. That's a family name. There's an endearment. And in these first three verses, it goes, the words of King Lemuel, that's Solomon, the prophecy that has, that his mother taught him, the word prophecy is teaching, right? 
She goes and she says, what, my son? Not the way my mom would say, what? My son, right? That's the way my mother would read him, man. How about how your mother? Your mother would talk to you like that? Yeah, you Hawaiian if you did it, if your mother talked to you that way. Then she would go, eh, and what? The son of my womb, right? She would go on, and what? The son of my view, my vows. Listen to me. I want you to hear this. Give not thy strength unto woman, right? Nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. I don't think I've ever said destroyeth in a sermon, being a part of Ohanajah. And what he's, and what we know about this text is that the mother is not sharing manao from an extended experience. The mother is sharing manao from a close experience. Why? Because the woman she's talking about is who? Herself. Bathsheba would be the woman that has an affair with King David against her soldier husband named Uriah, we see in First Second Samuel. So she is speaking from a posture of sinfulness. And then she also says this, Beware of the ways that destroyeth kings. Basically, she's saying this, Anything that takes your eyes off of God, Lemuel, Ohana Church, Beware. What are the things in our lives that point you away from Jesus this morning? What are the things in our lives that destroys our fellowship with the Lord Jesus or our relationship with those in the church and outside the church? For Solomon, Lemuel, it was exactly what his mother teached him growing up. And he still didn't listen to his mother because his mother said, beware of women. Because Solomon, the wisest man in the world, wasn't wise enough to understand that simple instruction. God gave him everything. And what we see in the scripture is that, that Solomon has over 600 partners, concubines and wives, right? I mean, this guy must have been not so, right? For some of us who are just married to one wife, right? That's enough for me, hallelujah, right? But this brother had over 600 partners. And, and the reality is Samuel is a model of every person in this room. Solomon. I always say Samuel. Solomon is a model of every person in this room. What is that? We are sinners in need of salvation. How many of you need God today? Right? Not just mothers, not just fathers, but everyone in this room. Our hope is that you need God today. And if there's anything that my mama taught me, she pointed me to the gospel. Now, I was like Solomon. I did not follow her ways. But the reality is, I believe this. When we start planting the seeds of the gospel into our children or those that we're connected with, it will sprout. Like, like, don't trip right now that your husband is not listening to you right now when it comes to the gospel. Or vice versa, uh, men, your, your women is not listening to you. The gospel will sprout. That is the power of the gospel. And as we celebrate Mother's Day, I want us to look at God in the area of baptism. We need clarity. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, we need to be clear. Tell your other neighbor, neighbor, we need to be clear. This is the problem we've learned the last couple of weeks with the gospel. We're not clear about what we believe and what we understand. So I want us to be very clear. As a Baptist church, 
We want to preach baptism, not from a traditional view, all right, from a man-made traditional view, but a biblical traditional view. What is baptism? And, and later on today, we're going to celebrate baptism. A few of you, several of you in this room will celebrate what God has done in your heart, and you're going to express that through baptism. A couple, uh, just a one big celebration. The one that's getting baptized, one of them today is dear to my heart. My oldest, Kaimana, will be baptized today in connection with him being saved a month ago. Can I get a witness, right? And if you guys don't know our story, Kaimana was adopted. All his brothers, his three brothers. We adopted it. Auntie Carrie Lou was their CPS worker. We could have, we could have not been blessed with any other one by Auntie Carrie Lou. But today, why, why is the gospel important? Because it changes lives. It changes lives. And so what a joy to, to have a teaching at least once a year what baptism is and what baptism is not. Would you turn your Bibles to the gospel of Matthew? For the last few months, we've been in the Gospel of Mark, going verse by verse. We're going to take a break for the next few weeks, and we're going to look at the Gospel of Matthew. And Matthew is the most detailed Gospel we have all of the four. Matthew is a tax collector by trait, but God changes his life, and he becomes a Jesus collector. Can I get a witness, right? And so what we see in this text is a beautiful picture of baptism not modeled by anybody else, but Jesus himself. Would you stand with me in the reverent reading of God's word? It says in chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to who? John. To be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him. Let it be so now. I want you to remember these red words. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. He agreed. And when John was baptized, immediately Jesus went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, finish these words with me, one, two, three, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. God, we need revelation from those texts. We don't need revelation from our own opinions or our imagination. We need strictly from your word what the word interprets baptism to be. God, forgive us where we fail you, but restore us where we're at. And may your name be the only name that matters and that's glorified in our lives today. God's Ohana says, Amen. You may be seated. I grew up in a church of emotional chaos. What does that mean? Every truth needed to be experienced before it was taught. So I grew up thinking that everything we practiced in church was godly, was biblical, was uh, was theologically correct. But then when I got older, I started to question a lot of the things that we did. We call it fanaticism. The churches I grew up in were would bark like dogs, literally, during the worship service. They would laugh 
in an uncontrollable spirit. They would fall back on their backs. They would, it would be a, an emotional roller coaster, chaotic time where people would say this would be the outpouring of God. And I knew something was not in tune with that. So what I did was I searched. I did what any person with sense would do. I would no longer go through the motions of church, but I would go on this spiritual journey of what it meant to trust in God, Jesus. And I realized that every religion in the world has one single thing they guard truth in that is a fallacy, and that is the word. You can write it down. It's not on the screen. It's the word mysticism. The word mysticism is a is a word that Paul preaches against in the church of Colossae, in the book of Colossians. Mysticism comes from the root word mystic. To be a mystic is to be emotionally inclined. In fact, the way you would get drunk off of alcohol, the way you would get stoned off of drugs, is the same way you would be emotionally high through mysticism. Like mysticism is a drug of its own that we, if we're not careful, will will base truth in our life. But what I want to teach, and I'm not against raising our hands, shouting glory, shouting hallelujah. Can I get a witness out there, right? I'm not against that. What I'm against if that is that that is the initiation of our work in Christ versus God's work in us as an outpouring of his grace. And one of the fruit of the Spirit that we see in Galatians 5 is self-control. So to be fanatic and to be emotionally combusted is to go against Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit. And what I want to do is I want to give a clear understanding then. What is baptism? Well, I want to do something a little bit better. I want to give you a misunderstanding of baptism and then a biblical truth of baptism. And we pause because we'll cow-cow after this, all right? Misunderstanding number one. We think baptism is about us. That baptism is about me. Look at Matthew 3. Look at the first verses. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized to him. John would have prevented Jesus saying, I need to be baptized by what? You. I want you to understand this text. John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, is making baptism about who? Himself. Now, I agree with some scholars and theologians that his posture and his his reverence to Jesus is on point. But what he did not understand was Jesus' baptism is not the same as those who follow him. The baptism of Jesus is distinctive from the baptism of believers. When Jesus, and we see this. We see the truth of baptism. And here's the biblical understanding, number one. Baptism is about Jesus. Read it for me. It's up on the screen. One, two, three. Baptism is about Jesus. He says it in the text, but Jesus answered him and told John, let it be so now, for this is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. That is the answer. Why is baptism about Jesus? Well, John gives a clear, uh, clear, has a clear experience from Matthew's account that three things is understandable from this text. Here's the first thing. Jesus was in silent 
for three decades. We have a short account of his birth. And then at age 12, we have a short account that he got lost in a festival. And the mother found him in the temple of the Lord. But we don't have much information about Jesus' growth from the birth age all the way to 30-something years old in his humanity. So when, the, when he said, let it be now, but thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness, Jesus said, it's time for me to introduce myself. Right? Like any situation, right? Like, let's, let's pick on the blind date scene. Many of you may come from that background. That's a big deal right now. There's this thing called ChristianMingle.com. Now, I am not supporting it. I'm just saying, could you imagine the introduction in that relationship? Right? Like, you see a picture of the sister, right? Or the brado. And then you get to Hawaiian-style cafe. I don't know where you guys hang out these days, right? And you like, but above and lie. The introduction was a lie. That sister don't look like the picture that we just seen, right? <laughs> Likewise, the brother. Brother don't look like. And so there is a clear understanding of an introduction with Jesus. Jesus does not lie about his introduction. Because number two, we see that Jesus was about to make a public entrance. And number three, we see Jesus introduced himself by way of baptism. Now, I want you to hear this very clear. It is very evident that the introduction of Jesus came through the old prophets of the Old Testament, major, minor, specifically in Isaiah. Majority of the Messianic prophecies came 700 years before Jesus took humanity. And it was very clear that when Jesus made this statement, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness, Jesus is fulfilling his introduction to the world. I thank God that Jesus did not have to lie about himself. I thank God that God didn't have to portray a man God through a royal celebration. Because we know Jesus wasn't born in all royalty. He was born in what, guys? A stable. A born. Whereas there's doo-doo all over the place. Like, you don't think of... You know, you don't think of a humble approach in a king that way, but that's the way he was born. Holman New Testament commentary says this, The need for Jesus to be baptized is thereby to serve as our representative and model. was not optional for him. It was important to the fulfillment of his mission on earth in identifying with the righteous remnant of Israel. He said it was a necessary step in order to fulfill all righteousness. And so the only conclusion to this text is that baptism, help me out, is about who? Jesus. And here's the application of truth. Anything, listen to me, anything we do is a response to what Jesus has already done. Say that with me. One, two, three. Anything we do is a response to what Jesus has already done. This means, listen to me, even though Jesus, the God-man, even though he is able to make you do whatever he would desire for you to do in his sovereignty, Jesus would never tell you to do something he's not already done. 
Everything we do is an outpouring of what Jesus has already done. This is consistent with all the four Gospels. Here are some examples. Example number one. Jesus left his home, heaven, way before calling his first followers to leave their homes. Are you with me? Think about the disciples. He called them to drop their nets, to leave their homes, to, to follow him. Example number two, all the miracles in the New Testament, specifically in Acts, and as follows, right, is a addition to what Jesus already did in his healing ministry in all the Gospels. Example number three, Jesus instituted the first ever Lord's Supper before Paul gives details to the church of Corinth on how to observe the Lord's Supper. What am I saying? You're not alone. If Jesus did it, then guess what? What we get to do was already done by Jesus. We don't need new revelation. We don't need new outpouring. God has accomplished it through his son. And here's the warning when it comes to being baptized. We need to be very careful that when we see someone baptized, we don't feed their flesh. Meaning telling them, I'm so proud of you. I'm sorry, you took the next step. No, that has nothing to do because what happens, it's inconsistent with the gospel. The gospel is not about you primarily. The gospel is about Jesus through you. Like the only reason why you're being baptized is because God in his sovereign grace chose to reveal himself to you. How that all works in details and dispensationalism, I don't know. It just does as the text says. We got to be very careful we don't boast up the pride in everybody or, or say good job when they're being baptized. It wasn't your job in the first place. Jesus modeled it for y'all. He modeled it for us. Because baptism is about who? Jesus. Second misunderstanding here would be Paul. Baptism washes our sins away. Now this has been very very crucial in religion at large. Matthew identifies what baptism truly is. And for a lot of people, they think getting dunked in water washes their sins away. And if that is the case, everybody that's at Four Miles Beach, Beach Park is getting baptized today. That is not the truth. Look at the verses in 16 and 17 of chapter 3 of Matthew. He says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were what? Open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on Jesus. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. The Bible is very clear. When you think of this misunderstanding that baptism washes your sins away in direct connection with Jesus, the Bible is very clear that Jesus is sinless. Jesus has no sin. Therefore, when Jesus was baptized, it can't be that he washed away his sins because he is not sinful like you and I. So first Peter gives us an understanding about this baptism when it comes to Jesus being sinless. He said, Jesus committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. Hebrews 4 says it this way. For we do not have a high priest. The high priest is Jesus who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. But one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are. Yet without what? Yet without what? Yet without what? Sin. 
Last one, Second Corinthians says, For our sake, Jesus made, God made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It is very clear. Baptism does not wash our sins away. Then what is baptism? Well, here's a biblical understanding. Baptism identifies the father's relationship with his son to the world. I want you to understand this. Baptism is about Jesus. Therefore, the second truth is only this, that it's about Jesus and his relationship with, the, with God to the world. How, is it, how, how does this take place? Look at the text. The text says it clear. Three things happened in this understanding. When Jesus was baptized and he came out of the water, three things took place. Number one, the heavens opened up. The heavens opened up. Number two, the Spirit of God came on Jesus. Now, there's two mystheological understanding in this text. Number one, people think that a literal dove came on Jesus. No. As an imaginary picture of what Matthew uses, it was literally the Spirit coming over Jesus. Thirdly, people think Jesus was baptized with the Holy Spirit. No. The Holy Spirit came down because the Holy Spirit keeps union between the Trinity. Are you with me? There's a beautiful picture where modalism, the doctrine of modalism, is crossed out. Because modalism teaches there's parts of the Godhead that exist only in this parts of the scriptures. You see the whole Godhead in Jesus' baptism. The Father... The Son and the Holy Spirit. In fact, number three, we see the final thing. We see the voice of God that was heard when Jesus came out of the water. Again, listen to me. The baptism of Jesus is completely different from the baptism of believers. All right? I want you to hear me very clear. Jesus not just models baptism. Jesus is the reason for baptism. Jesus is starting his earthly ministry at the age of 30 years old. And Jesus, here's this one great thing. Here's a biblical truth to understand. Jesus was baptized to introduce the world to his father. Well, at the same time, God the father took the time to introduce the world to his son, who is the savior of the world. How does God introduce Jesus to the world? Look at verse 17, right? God the father says an amazing truth. Look at it. He says this is my beloved son. The word beloved in the Greek language literally means the Messiah, the anointed one. This is the one who's anointed. This bugger belongs to me. All right? And, I, and I'm giving you him. Look at this. This is my son, the Messiah, with whom I am well pleased. I want you to understand that when God says that he was pleased with his son... There's a couple of things you need to understand chronologically in order. Number one, Jesus didn't do nothing at this point. No miracles, no signs and wonders, no resurrection, no crucifixion, uh, crucified on the cross. Jesus didn't demonstrate any duty to make his father be pleased with him. I hope you understand where I'm going. God loved his son. Because that was his son. But when we treat our children, we treat them on conditions when really we should treat them on our relationship. The way we treat our children 
is the way we should, the way God treats his son. God says, I am pleased with my son. And the world don't know what's about to happen. He didn't bring up at that point all of the 700 plus prophecies that was told in the Old Testament, or the 100 plus prophecies that were told in the Old Testament. All he said is, this is my boy. And I'm pleased with him. How many of you treat your children like that? Right? No, no, no lie, alright? I, I know it's tough, right? Yesterday, we got this small little two feet high pool, and you know that small little kiki pool, and all that? And so all of us, my big body, alright? Kaimana, his big body, if you guys saw that, brother, is proportionate now, alright? Like his daddy, alright? Kainalu, Kainako, we all squeeze in this small little two foot pool, right? And you know what happened in that? Pa! 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 Right? And bruh! And they punch you in areas that you shouldn't punch, right? And all that. Like the God, God is not glorified when you punch men in that area, right? It just ain't good. It ain't healthy. And right, right, we would, I would base my child's relationship based on what they do and didn't do. But in this relationship, God is not basing his relationship with his son by way, by what he's gonna do. God is basing his relationship with his son because that's his son. Are you with me? Or is that flying over your head? There is joy when we understand that baptism is not about you. Baptism is about God through you. And as we look at this, there's another fallacy of baptism that we see. That baptism is in connection with salvation. Many believe that you will be saved if you just get dunked under the water. That is not true. Actually, baptism is, number one, symbolic. Symbolic, Jesus begins his ministry in a symbolic way, through baptism. How does he start his ministry? His first mission trip was being baptized. But also baptism was literal. It says then Jesus fulfills his ministry in a literal way through the cross. So baptism and the crucifixion of Jesus is in direct connection with one another. Baptism is a symbolic picture of the death of Christ. And the crucifixion is a literal, literal reality of the death of of Christ. Here's a symbolic redemption of baptism in the death of Christ. Number one, death, Jesus going into the water. Number two, burial, Jesus staying in the water. So that's why we don't practice sprinkling baptism here. We practice submersion. We put you under the water. And number three, resurrection. When Jesus came out of the water, it was a symbolic picture of what would happen when he would die on the cross three and a half years later of baptism. Are you with me? I think churches should teach more than preach sometimes. Because there's a lack of clarity. We can get all emotional. You know me, I'm passionate. But when you don't understand theology and proper doctrine, then you're just going to believe what somebody else told you and not understand the text for itself. Salvation does not come through baptism. Salvation comes through Jesus. In fact, the name Jesus means God is salvation. Matthew chapter 1, the Christmas story. Mary is told by the angel that she will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from sin. This is only truthful. That baptism doesn't save you. Help me out. Jesus saves you. So we at this church, we affirm that Jesus saves and we deny that baptism saves. Can I get a witness? Anyone that teaches that doctrine is an apostate or a false teacher. If they said you have to do anything, even including to baptism, they are a false prophet and they need to understand their wrath. Jesus saves, not the water. 
Are you with me? Then you may say, well, then what is the big deal about baptism? Well, let, let me say one more thing. For those denominations who believe that the water saves you, they take one scripture out of context. And they found in 1 Peter 3, verse 21. It says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. What does that sound like? It sounds like baptism what? Saves you. Not as a removal of dirt, you gotta read on, right? From the body, but as an appeal to God for a good what? Conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you build your doctrine a one verse, everything you believe in, even like John 3.16, if you believe what you believe in on just one verse, you will fall into the trap of lies from the evil one. This verse must be understood in context. Let's read before these verses. Verses 18 to 20 says this, For Christ also suffered once for what? Once for sins. Do you have the verse, First Peter, please up on the screen. In First Peter it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. What is this saying? Christ didn't suffer for baptism. Christ suffered for the sins of the world. Now read it in context back to this verse. It says baptism, which corresponds to this, now save you, not as a removal of dirt. Does that make sense now? It doesn't save you from your dirt, your sinful ways. It saves you from your conscience. Baptism is in connection with your conscience. What does your conscience say? Jesus washes my sins away, not the water. So here's the biblical truth. Baptism is our response to God following redemption, not the means for redemption. Meaning that baptism does not save you. Jesus saves you. So, so how do we go on? Well, here's three things that people do when they make baptism about themselves. Number one, they get rebaptized multiple times. When someone feels that they're dirty and dirty and dirty and dirty, and they make baptism about them, they'll be baptized seven, ten times. I would even say this more. They would even get baptized in different religions just to make them feel better about their sin. But baptism is not about you. Secondly, they baptize out of superstition and false traditions. A lot of babies in Hilo are christened in the Catholic faith. But if you understand the Catholic history, they share the same scriptures that we share. They may have added it in the canonization with the Gospel of Thomas and Maccabees and all that stuff, but they practice a traditional superstitious baptism. Babies in all of biblical history was never sprinkled or baptized. In fact, at Ohana Church, we give a we don't let any child to be baptized unless they meet with one of our elders or leaders and we talk through the process of baptism because we feel some children are forced to be baptized just to get a church protection, a superstition protection. Baptism does not protect you. In fact, there is believers today, when they come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior in the Middle East and they are baptized in public, 
when they get out of their baptism experience, they killed for their faith. Baptism don't protect you. Baptism, all right, connects you with who Jesus is. Number two, no, number three, and we'll be Paul. People who make baptism about themselves, they get baptized and leave the church. Same thing like dedicating babies. Anything we do. People will come to church and get what they need, and it's not good enough for them, so they leave the church, then, you know, the, and they make excuses. The church is not Sunday morning, which is true. The church is people. But God didn't rescue you and dedicate you and, and, and reveal himself to you to isolate you. God rescued, you know why? God rescued you to be with other people who got rescued because in and of ourselves, we are attacked by the enemy. And when we're attacked by the enemy, we lied to about. And when we're lied to about, we are ashamed of our sin because we make Christianity about us instead of about God through us to the glory of his name. And I want to encourage you guys today. Don't be a generation that just say words and don't mean it. Don't be a married couple who says a vow and don't mean it. Don't be a, a parent who's up here and is dedicating their child and say a covenant and don't mean it. Don't be a church body who says something and you don't mean it. When you say something, let your yes be your yes and your no be your no. Why? Because that is who Jesus is. Jesus fulfilled all righteousness by beginning his ministry in the only way God saw fit for him to begin it. In public baptism. I mean, I want you to see this, right? You don't have to get baptized multiple times to be in right relationship with God. You just need to repent and trust in Jesus. You need to ask God for forgiveness, not get baptized and baptized and baptized. All that is is a cheap bath, y'all. That's all it is. If you think the power is in the water, then you elevate creation and not creator. It's an offense to a holy God to say, everything out this saves us but Jesus. In fact, Ephesians 4 says it this way about the one baptism. It says, there is one body and one spirit. Just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith. Here we go. One baptism, one God, and one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let me be clear about the gospel. Baptism is not about you. It's about Jesus. So then why is these people going to get baptized if it's not, you know, if it's not important? I never say it wasn't important. It is very important. But we've got to understand, baptism is primarily about God. So here's three things I want you to be encouraged. When it comes to baptism, baptism does this. Here's a final thought. Baptism publicly declares that I belong to Jesus. I belong to his ohana, and that those I am connected with can belong to him as well through Jesus. When, when our several people is coming over here today, when we're, going, we're just going to experience a baptism coming up. When they are getting dunked in the water, they're saying those three things. That I belong to Jesus. I belong to his family. And guess what? You can belong to as the band comes up, as we end our time together, I want you to question your heart today. Is your walk with the Lord about you? Or is your walk with the Lord about God? Is your walk with the Lord about your mama? Or is your walk with the Lord about you? Or is it about God? 
Is your walk with the Lord about your husband or your wife? Or is your walk with the Lord about God? Because listen to me. If it's about God, you can't go theologically wrong. Because everything you are involved in is not about you. There's going to be plenty of sermons here Sunday morning in Hilo that talks about a better you. But in the scripture, there's never an answer when the gospel always starts with a worse you. There cannot be good news if there's not bad news. Are you with me? I know you hear this every Sunday, but it's like you don't hear it every day. I want you to hear it. All right? That you are flawed. You are sinful. You need Jesus, not water. The water is just a result of Jesus. Could you take the gospel serious for once? No worry about what people group you from in these islands. No worry about what, what, what status quote you are in. Worry about eternity. If you would take your last breath today, do you know you would spend eternity with a holy God, with a righteous God? Do you know that for a fact? Or are you living by superstitions? That I got to do this. I got to do that. I cannot hang out with this kind of people. I got to hang out with this kind of people. If you focus on what you always got to do, that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. You do because it is done for you. That's the gospel. But we grow up in these churches of chaos where it talks about, I got to speak in this unknown tongue. I got to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. I got to do all this in order to experience Jesus. That is religion and not the gospel. Religion tells us what we have to do. The gospel tells us what Jesus has already done for you. So are we just robots? No, we're not robots. We're stupid sheep that need a savior. Are you with me? Quote that. We're stupid sheep that needs a savior. We do our own. And you may be catching feelings because the way I'm talking. That's why you need Jesus because you're catching feelings. I thank God that somebody told me I was a sinner. But here's the joy. Here's where the lome lome and the honey honey comes in. Though we are undeserving of God's grace, because of what Jesus has done, he makes us deserving. I know only three of you get that. But it is God's spirit who will let you know through his word that we aren't complete in our efforts. In fact, we are incomplete in our efforts. I know that. Why? Because all my leaders are struggling this morning to get the grill down. Who was in charge of the steak? Who was in charge of this? And we've been communicating this for three weeks already, Hawaiians. That just reminded me, man, we're not there. But guess who is? Jesus. Last warning. And we're going to sing a simple chorus that we power. Beware of the American gospel. The American gospel is not the gospel. If you're following televangelists on TBN and whatever these are, these mainstream pastors, be very careful because they preach a gospel of prosperity, of wealth, and health 
and not Jesus lifted high. And they would add in the name Jesus in their effort. But listen to me. Many of you who leave this church and they'll come back for a season, you leave because you're trying to fulfill something that not the gospel. And it's not just this church, it's all churches. All right? If the pastor is preaching Christ crucified, buried, and raised, not just for your sin, but for the glory of his name because he is God, that's the church you should be a part of. And if you feel that's a church outside of this church, praise God. But I can promise you, not every church has it down perfectly. We are filled with sinners in need of salvation.